So we are a tribe. The reason I wanted to read that poem was to share the lines about, we are a tribe of eyes that look upward, even as we stand on uncertain ground. The earth beneath us moves quiet, wild. Its boundaries shifting, its muscles wavering. The sky is indifferent to all this, impervious to borders and reservations. Look up, stay a while, let your breathing slow, and know that you always have a home here. I was thinking about Dogen's famous instruction to take the backward step, shine the light inward. So we are looking upward, standing on uncertain ground, and then we are also simultaneously taking the backward step. Shining the light in in these uncertain times. And as I was preparing a talk for today, I I realized how much I am feeling the uncertainty and wanting so badly this last line, know that you always have a home here that maybe it suggests a kind of certainty that I so want. Maybe some of you can also share in that feeling of like, okay, it's enough uncertainty. How about a little stable ground? But in our text, reaching from my papers here. In our text, Zenju's the deepest piece. She asks, can a catastrophic experience lead to a large-scale awakening? Can a catastrophic experience, major uncertainty, maybe like a pandemic, our fire, can it lead to a large-scale awakening? Are we beginning now to live together in different ways because of the kind of collective experience we've had or a catastrophic event? a string of catastrophic events with a future coming towards us. Hopefully we will have more. What's being asked of us? What are we doing to help others? 
How are we preparing for our own leaving? Our own leaving of this earth. Preparing for our own deaths. Or the death of someone close to us. Think back last summer to the fire out there in Point Reyes. I know that it was right over the hill from Bay and Eleanor's house. And it was probably close to many of you. And even if you don't live up th out there, think about the orange day we had. I don't know, Patricia Starr, if it reached up there, up to you, but You've heard and you've seen pictures, obviously, of the very orange, very bizarre, frightening day we had. What's changed since then? What are we doing to prepare for fires? How are we caring for each other and ourselves as a result of the catastrophe of the pandemic, which isn't over? Though, maybe like me, you're yearning for that certainty of it being over. That feels pretty human. Last year, we studied the regenerative property of trees, the gifts of trees, how they communicate and care for each other. And they do it in a great silence. At least silent for us in a sense, we, we don't know the language per se, but we're beginning to learn that there is language going on, that there's communication, and it's both subtle and also uh, very bold. If someone's in trouble in the forest, there are helpers there. And during that time when we were studying about the Dharma of trees, we learned about Wangari Matai the Kenyan Nobel Prize winner who started with seven trees in Nairobi. Passionate with other women that trees were a way to take care of each other and to take care of Mother Earth. And I believe there's somewhere around 500 million trees or more that have been planted since around the world as part of her movement. And of course, there are many others who are planting trees too. But we also learned during the time with Bing and Eleanor as our leaders about sea rise and pollutants and plastics, about poisons all around us, 
and about people who were losing their homes, climate refugees. About how we are really, really in a trouble, troubled time. Now, whether we've been locked down, and some of us really have been, we have not gone out, and now are tentatively doing so, some of us with reluctance. Maybe most of us were just safely distanced. Only a few of us became ill with COVID. But we know and we have bore witness to the fact that 600,000 people in America have died. And there are states where it is going up right now. And there are dangerous variants. We don't know much about them. Four million deaths globally. I wanted to know how many people died in the 1918 Spanish flu epidemic. And I was really back. A low estimate is 500 million people died. Low estimate. It was a third of the people all over the world. How would it be if a third of us disappeared? What could happen in a large-scale catastrophe like that. How has our witnessing changed us? What are we being moved to do now differently? What action, subtle, are bold can we take now? And the reason I'm saying all this is because there is such a temptation to want to say, okay, that was good. Before. I don't think there is any before. And I think there's great anxiety in many people, myself perhaps included. Anxiety is not an easy word to define, but about some notion of going back to what was before. The Dharma wheel really stops for no one. It keeps going. Life. illness, age, death, and joy, rapture, creativity, great picnic dinners with friends, swimming in the ocean, writing a poem. 
the caress of someone who loves you. As a friend of mine likes to repeatedly say, the whole hallucination. How lucky we are. In a poem by Marie Howe, one of my favorite poets, she says, Oh, the coming out of nowhere moment when nothing happens. No, what have I got to do today list? Maybe half a moment. And the rush of traffic stops. The whir of I should be or I shouldn't be slows to silence. The white cotton curtains hanging still. The beautiful image, the white cotton curtains standing still. A moment, a moment when we have a realization. We have some way of seeing the light shining in. Let's all encourage each other to take that backward step to let the shine and the light shine in. let the moment still us from the list of things we have to do today. Give me to walk with the people we've been walking with and maybe invite any person. Maybe call someone who haven't spoken to, like we did in the beginning when people were making lots of contact with each other. I had a dream earlier this week with two images. I'm thinking back on this uh, an NPR story I once heard that, that three most boring things you can talk about with anybody or the dreams you had last night the, the, uh, I think that the movie you saw last week that they didn't see and the third thing is um, explaining how you got lost on the way to their house because they're late for lunch I have to stop for a second and say that the the story was also told by a very funny um, sort of English woman who uh, who said, um, totally boring, you know, to have someone tell you, well, you know, I took the wrong turn and then I went around you know, to the to the park and then I, I couldn't find your mailbox. And she said, my daughter, my daughter was a Hollywood producer and we were at her house one day and we were waiting for Robert Redford to come for lunch and he 
he got lost coming to lunch. And when he got there, he talked for almost a half an hour about how he got lost trying to get to her house. I thought, oh gosh, Robert Redford. Yes, okay, it might be a little easier, Robert Redford. Uh, um, what does this have to do with where we are right now? Well, honestly, in reading Senju's book, very hard for me to read that book in, in some way and see a deepest piece. I saw what I just, I think I just exhibited a little bit of runaway mind um, and, and a person who, uh, knows a lot about darkness and a lot about pain, a lot about illness, and about healing, and uh, a journey that wasn't a linear journey. I'm not sure she was writing it for an audience so much as she was writing it for herself, but she asked questions and posed some thoughts that I felt were really, really important about this big scale catastrophic awakening. And so when I had this dream earlier this week, two images, one was the Buddha lying on his side, entering into Nirvana. And the other was of an ancient tree limb. It was the body tree, I thought, the body tree under which he had sat. And this huge limb was being propped up by sawhorses, burdened by the weight of the world's sorrow, by the worry of the world. And during a circle this week in which Jane Flint and I were both participating, she shared a quote from a recent talk by Norman. Life is an emergency. Knocked off my horse, I'm still in midair. Truly, this is where I am this day, these days. I'm, I'm like that limb needing to be propped up by the sawhorses, I'm feeling my grief. Remember, grief is a Buddha. That's from a talk by Joan Sutherland that we heard some of last year. Grief is a Buddha. Catastrophe is a Buddha. I'm weighted down, I feel right now, with sorrow. The sorrows in me and the sorrows I can feel around me all over the world, especially the earth. Parched earth here, right where I live. And the accounts that we hear from all over. I so much want everything to be different, to be fixed and healed. Not as it is, but as I somehow dream it to be, want it to be, 
so that I don't have to feel the pain. I've been encouraged this week rereading the Joan Sutherland and also reading about a wonderful nun in Thailand. Um, the, you, get, you get these magazines, this is an especially good article in the Buddha Dharma about a nun named Dhammananda in Thailand, the first woman to be ordained in Thailand about 20 years ago against all kinds of protests. And she in her temple fed 300 families during this time by using their practice of going out with begging bowls uh, to uh, bring food into the courtyard of the temple and then to do a food line every day, serving all the people who usually serve them in their begging bowls. And she said, at our temple, People don't have to bring money in order to make merit. I set up the temple as an eco temple. So we say you can bring money if you like, but you could also bring trash instead. So now they bring trash and we separate it all for recycling. We also show them how to use the recycled items and to do the recycling themselves. For example, we cut up old shirts into strips and weave them into rugs. I've woven four or five and given them to people who make donations. And our temple is powered by solar energy. We use clean energy. We take care of the environment. And every month we sell our recycling back to the factory again. We can recycle all the time, even our breath. When you breathe in good air, nourish yourself. When you breathe out, send energy that is full of love and caring for others. Even if we are knocked off our horses midair, bring our attention back, back into the light shining within that light of love and caring of going beyond thinking about ourselves. And I looked back at the Joan Sutherland um, article, also in the Buddha Dharma, She says, this was in 2019 that she wrote this, we're entering into a time of unimaginable losses, including the possible end of human life on earth. If we hope to change this, we have to reckon with the fact that whatever we're doing isn't working. We're still headed for the cliff and something's preventing most people 
from engaging with the emergency, despite all the warnings. It's possible conscious or unconscious of the sorrow. How will we bear the grief? How will we bear the grief? So we're given a life to sustain, says Zenju. We're, we're given a life that's ancient and yet also in present time. That ancient tree limb was a reminder for me. There's actually help. The little sawhorses propping up a great limb of the tree. What are your sawhorses? What's propping you up? What's helping you right now awaken to the catastrophe we are in? To not turn away. <laughs> 